Today's passage is Matthew 6, verse 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. One of the most unique things about our cultural moment is that fewer and fewer people are into what we would call traditional religion. So you may have heard of the rise of the nuns. Um, the rise of the nuns means this. When surveys ask people to describe their religious affiliation, more and more people are checking the box that says none. No religious affiliation. But a lot of the nuns are also folks that we could call the Duns. Those are folks who maybe grew up in church, but now they're just, they're done with religion. And that may actually describe some of you. And there are a lot of reasons for this, hypocrisy in the church or uh, the lack of care and concern for the poor and people of color, or especially over the last few years, the nationalism and political idolatry of the church. But here's the thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is basically saying, you should be done with that kind of religion. Jesus is offering us a different way, a better way, the way of Jesus. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most relevant parts of the whole Bible for our cultural moment. Because like I just said, fewer and fewer people are into what we would call traditional religion, but more and more people are deeply and desperately hungry for some kind of spirituality, for some kind of connection with something bigger than themselves, for an encounter with the God who is there. But here's the really amazing thing about the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not just affirming people who are done with religion and saying, now, off you go. Go create a customized spirituality that feels authentic for you. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, follow me. Let me show you a way of life, a truly authentic spiritual way of life. Are you hungry for a truly spiritual way of life? Do you ever find yourself longing for a deeper relationship with the God who is there? We're beginning this morning the third major section of the Sermon on the Mount. In this third section, Jesus is talking about things that, that involve our relationships with other people, but really it's mostly about our relationship with God. Jesus is doing a deep dive on authentic spirituality, but the word Jesus uses to describe it is righteousness. 
Now, I understand that for many of us, that word may carry a lot of baggage, especially if you're one of those folks who considers yourself done with religion. But let's find out what Jesus means by righteousness and, um, and see three things that he shows us. Jesus is going to show us the practice of righteousness, the problem of righteousness, and the reward of righteousness. The practice the problem and the reward of righteousness, okay? So first, he shows us the practice of righteousness. In verse 1, Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. This word righteousness is one of the most important words in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, a central word, a central theme in each of the first two sections of the sermon and, and also here in the third section of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, this is one of the richest and most important words in the whole Bible. Basically, the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus saying, here's what a life of righteousness looks like. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, you've probably heard me describe the Sermon on the Mount in different ways. I've, I've said it's a picture of the good life, I've said it's a picture of the transformed life. It's a picture of transformed countercultural community. All of those are different ways of, of describing what Jesus is talking about here in more modern terms. But the word Jesus uses is the word righteousness. Um, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, I understand that uh, for us, when we hear that word righteousness, uh, it's very difficult for us as modern people um, uh, not to hear this in a way that, that makes us think about all those reasons I just mentioned a bit ago that people are done with religion, the self-righteousness, the hypocrisy, the legalism, all of those things. But when Jesus uses the word righteousness, that's not what he's talking about. Real righteousness, the Hebrew word actually is the word tzedakah. Can you say that? Tzedakah. Tzedakah, the basic meaning of the word is right or rightness. It means that there's a rightness about your life. In fact, tzedakah is an incredibly relational word. It means that all of your relationships are right. Your relationship with God, with yourself, with others, with the world around you, all of your relationships are right. Friends, that's what Jesus means um, here, and, and that's what truly authentic spirituality is. It's righteousness. It means that everything in your life is right, it means that everything in the world is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Can you imagine that? None of us have ever actually experienced that in this world, and yet we long for that. Have you ever thought about how odd that is? We've never experienced it, and yet we long for it. Maybe one of my favorite examples of this longing is from the Pixar movie Wall-E. It's all about a little robot named Wally who lives on a future earth that was abandoned by humanity because mass consumerism has left the world covered in garbage. It's a trash world. And every day, Wally's job is to go out and crush the trash into little cubes until the earth is clean again. He's never experienced anything other than that. But one day, Wally comes home to his little trailer which is full of treasures that he's dug up amongst the trash of the earth. And, and he gets home and he pops in a video ca cassette of the movie Hello, Dolly. And the movie's playing in the background while Wally's uh, tidying up his place. But all of a sudden, Wally's attention is caught by a scene in the movie of a woman and a man who are gazing into each other's eyes and singing a love song. And Wally stands there transfixed 
as, as the woman and the man take hold of each other's hands and walk off into the evening singing, it only takes a moment to be loved a whole life long. And there's Wally with his little robot fingers clutching each other as if he too was holding the hand of his beloved, only he's not even aware that he's doing it until he looks down at his hands in surprise as if to say, wait, what's happening to me? I find myself experiencing a longing for something that I've never experienced in this world, and yet I feel like I was made for it. We've all had moments like that, haven't we? Moments um, where you've got just a glimpse of something right, of something beautiful, of something that tells us we're not just robots, we're not just a bag of chemicals, something that makes you feel like I was made for this. And maybe the most heartbreaking thing about this is that we usually don't even notice it until after it's already gone. And we're just left with this heartbreaking, sickening longing in our heart. But even the longing is something that we long for. Friends, what are we longing for? Jesus is showing us all our relationships are right with God, with ourselves, with others, with the world around us. It's righteousness. But notice that Jesus is telling us that this righteousness is something that we're actually supposed to practice. He's talking about something that we're actually supposed to do. So here in verse 1, Jesus is introducing the question, what does it look like to rightly practice righteousness? And then throughout the rest of the section, he's going to show us by talking about three examples or three case studies, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. Now, here's the thing I really want us to grab hold of this morning. Um, At this point in the sermon, remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples, to his followers. And he says this, he says, um, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Jesus is talking about the religious leaders. He's criticizing them and he's telling his disciples, look, I don't want you to, to be like them. But notice something about this. Jesus is not saying... I want you to give to the poor, pray and fast. Not like those religious leaders who are not doing those things. They are doing those things. But he's also not saying, you see those hypocritical, pusillanimous religious leaders over there? They're giving to the poor. They're praying. They're fasting. I don't want you to do those things. Go off and live an authentic spirituality for yourself. He's not saying that either. Notice the contrast here is not between people who are doing these things and people who are not doing these things. Jesus actually assumes that his followers are going to do these things. So you notice he says, um, when you give to the needy, not if you give. Jesus assumes that his followers are going to do these things. Friends, here's the point. If you're skeptical about religion, if you're burned out on religion, if you're done with religion, Jesus is saying that you should not be done with practicing righteousness. Jesus is inviting us not to renounce the practice of righteousness, but to reimagine the practice of righteousness. This is something we're actually supposed to do. And that leads to our second point. We've just seen the practice of righteousness. Secondly, Jesus shows us the problem of righteousness. Because the problem with the religious leaders is not what they were doing, but why they were doing it. So, for instance, notice Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
Now, um, this has confused many people because if, if you've been with us, you remember maybe back in chapter 5, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Jesus just said, let people see you doing good. But here he's saying, don't let people see you. It sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself, but he's not. Here's what's going on. The question is not whether or not people see you doing good. The question is whether or not you're doing it in order to be seen. Friends, here's why this is so important. And I mean this whether you are someone who considers yourself done with religion or even and even especially if you consider yourself a Christian. Here's why this is so important. Jesus is drilling down into our heart motives here. So for instance, um, back in, in the second section of the Sermon on the Mount, we just got through with that. Uh, Jesus is warning us against all kinds of destructive behaviors, bad behaviors, bad deeds, things like anger, violence, sexual unfaithfulness, revenge, hatred. They're, they're bad deeds, bad works. It's not difficult to see why Jesus would warn us against those things. In this section, Jesus is talking about good deeds, good behavior, good works, but you notice he's still warning us. Jesus is saying that it, it's possible you can be just as lost in your goodness as you can be lost in your badness. He's saying you can be just as far from the heart of God in your good works as you can be in your bad works. Jesus is drilling down into our heart motivations here. Um, so notice, once again, when he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. That word seen is a word that literally means to be observed or noticed. In fact, um, we get our English word theater from this word. It's like we're putting on a show. So when Jesus goes on to say, um, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. That word hypocrites was the word that they used to describe actors in a play. And those actors would wear masks. Do you see what Jesus is getting at here? Friends, listen, every single human being has a deep need for external validation, for affirmation, for love and approval. To put it simply, we need to know that we matter. Every human being needs to know that. And the, the word that Jesus uses to describe this deep need we have is in verse 2. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do to be honored by others. That word honored literally is the word glorified. Now the word glory is another one of those words that's incredibly rich, incredibly important word in the Bible. The Hebrew word for glory literally means weight or weightiness. In other words, the more glory you have, the more weight you have, the more that your life matters. Friends, we need this as human beings. If we don't have this, as human beings, we wither. So for instance, um, why is Black Lives Matter such an urgent, necessary, and important movement in our society today? Because for centuries, including up, right up until today, black lives have not been given the glory, the weightiness, the value, and the dignity that they deserve simply by virtue of the fact that they're human beings created in the glory of God. Friends, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't desire glory. We were created for glory. The problem is not our desire for glory. The problem is the way we go about 
seeking it. Jesus is saying if the reason that we're doing good is in order to to be seen by others, if that's our motivation, if it's a piece of theater, uh, we're we're putting on a show, putting on a mask, that that we're not really um, doing it for God, we're not really doing it for others, then in that case, we're really just doing it for ourselves. Do you see how that robs God and other people of the value and the dignity and the glory that they deserve? It's, it's like treating them as an object, like just using them as a thing to be used and manipulated. And we're doing it all because we're desperately in need of glory. And on top of that, you realize when we do this, it never really works, does it? It's a cheap glory. It's a false glory. It never works. It never satisfies. It always just leaves us feeling more empty, less glory, less like our lives matter. So for instance, you know, look at social media. Um, you know, when Jesus talks about sounding a trumpet, that's like the ancient Middle Eastern version of what we would call virtue signaling or hashtag activism or slacktivism or humble brag or whatever you want to call it. But you know how, you know, we really, really want people to see just how much we care about the cause of justice. And you may really care. You know, human beings are complex creatures, We're always going to have a mix of motives at work in our heart. We may really care about justice or some other cause that that matters to us. But there's also this thing about human beings where not only do we care about something, but we really, really need other people to see just how much we care. We're getting our glory from it. Not only does that never satisfy us and leave us feeling more empty than we did before, but it's a way of robbing God and robbing other people of the glory and the dignity that they deserve. And you want to know the really scary thing about this? You're thinking to yourself, uh, actually, I am already feeling bad enough. No, I'm not. <laughs> Don't want to know. But here's the really scary thing about this. Um, Jesus says that a lot of times we don't even know that we're doing this. So once again, if you look what he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That word, be careful, Jesus uses that word a lot in the Gospels. It's a way of saying, literally, beware. Watch out. Pay attention. You know how sometimes you can be standing so close to something that you can't even see it? Like one of those paintings that's made up of little dots and splotches. If you're standing too close to it, you can't really see what it is. But, but when you stand back, then you can finally see what the picture is. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that you can be totally self-absorbed, totally self-focused and self-centered and be totally unaware of it. How do we escape that? Now, Jesus is saying that, that we need to get rid of that that unless we um, find a way to escape that blindness and that self-centeredness, then we'll never really be able to practice the righteousness that God desires for us. How does that change? Well, that leads to our last point. We've seen the practice of righteousness. We've just seen the problem of righteousness. But lastly, Jesus shows us the reward of righteousness. Um, Because here's the thing. Um, The question is, how are we going to escape this self-centered focus on ourselves and actually reimagine righteousness? Well, Jesus gives us a, a really great picture of what this would look like in our lives. So in verse three, he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing is a way of, of, of noticing and observing when you're doing something righteous or good. It's a way of kind of um, self-centered congratulations. So, um, for instance, have you ever done something good and then you automatically think to yourself, wow, I'm actually a pretty good person? Or have you ever caught yourself actually being humble for a change, but then immediately you find yourself thinking, my gosh, I was being humble. It's, it's a way of self-centered congratulations for ourselves. That's what Jesus is talking about. To not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing is, to, is to actually an experience of a kind of a healthy self-forgetfulness. It means that you're so focused on serving God and serving others that you actually lose that self-centered focus on yourself for just a moment. It's a wonderful experience, but how does it happen? Well, the answer, as is so often the case with Jesus, is very counterintuitive. Um, There's another thing that has really confused people over the years about Jesus. When Jesus tells his followers, hey, if you're really practicing righteousness rightly, then God is going to reward you. People are very confused by that because we just got through seeing that Jesus is telling us that we should not be doing good deeds in order to use God and use others. But then he turns right around and says that if you're practicing righteousness rightly, that God is going to reward you. It makes it sound like the Christian life is this kind of transactional, mercenary relationship with God. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. No one really ever explained this any better than C.S. Lewis. Uh, here's how he put, uh, puts it. He says, we must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that this promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of reward. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But, a mar- but marriage is the proper reward for a real lover, and he is not mercenary for desiring it. Friends, that's what Jesus is talking about here. What is the reward that Jesus is offering his followers to to those who would follow him and practice righteousness? What is the reward? Maybe the fastest way to understand this is to remind ourselves, who's the one who's giving the reward? Jesus says, it's your father. The one who's giving the reward is your father in heaven. So for instance, have you ever seen a child, maybe it's your own child, ask their parents, mommy, daddy, can I help you with what you're doing? And of course the parent always says, well, of course you can, sweetheart. Even though they know perfectly well that a three-year-old can't really contribute to vacuuming the floor or hanging a picture on the wall. But the parent lets the child carry the cord or hold the hammer while they're putting the picture on the wall. And then after they're done doing that, what happens? The parent pours out their love and their delight on the child. Good job. Well done. Way to go. The child is standing there just basking in the love and the delight of their parent. Is the child a mercenary for enjoying the love of their parent? Of course not. The child is meant to enjoy the love of their parent. They're meant to enjoy your smile, your love, your delight. Friends, that's what Jesus is promising us here. It's not just all the glory you could ever desire. It's infinitely more glory, more love, more honor, more delight than you could ever imagine. For instance, you know, 
when a child is experiencing love like that, let me ask you a question. Do you think the child is thinking about themselves at that point? No. They're too caught up in experiencing the love of their parent at that moment. That's what Jesus is promising us here. It's a self-forgetfulness, something, a love, an experience of love that just lifts you up out of yourself so that for just a moment you forget yourself, you stop thinking about yourself, and you're more focused on, on the love that you're experiencing. Friends, the more you experience a love like that, the more we're able to actually practice the the service of God, the service of others, the doing good that Jesus actually has uh, reimagined for us here. How does that actually happen? Well, let me offer us some steps in that direction by way of application. To experience the love of God like that is an experience of awe. So let's use these three letters, A-W-E, is a way of explaining ways that we can um, grow more in this experience of God's love and this practice of righteousness. First, A means assume that you have blind spots in your life. You know how your 26-year-old self is so um, able to see how your 16-year-old self was ignorant and foolish and blind? Or your 46-year-old self is able to see how your 36-year-old self was foolish and ignorant. No matter how old we get, we're always able to look back on our younger self and see how blind and foolish we were, right? Bring that assumption into your life right now, right today. Just assume today, right now, I have blind spots in my life. I have self-centeredness in my life. I have self-absorption and self-focus in my life. Just assume right now that you have blind spots. Secondly, W means weigh your motives. So before you're about to do something, especially if it's something good, um, ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? And then when you answer that question, ask yourself, okay, great. Now, why am I really doing this? Weigh your motives. Remember, like I said, human beings are complex creatures. All of us are going to have always a mix of motives going on in our hearts. There would be good motives, but there will also be selfish, self-centered motives. To weigh our motives, to to grow in the practice of righteousness, is to grow in the practice of a self-reflective lifestyle in which we're constantly weighing the motives of our hearts, assuming that we have blind spots, assuming that we can't see these things, and then trying to dig more deeply into our hearts in order to see the things we can't see. And by the way, asking other people in your life for feedback on this is one of the uh, fastest ways to see your own blind spots and motives. Because other people always see our blind spots much more easily than we see them ourselves. So first, A means assume blind spots. Secondly, W means weigh your motives. But lastly, and perhaps most importantly, E means enter the sanctuary. And and here's what this means. Uh, When Jesus says that we should practice our righteousness in secret, He says, do do it in secret. Yes, he does mean it at a certain level that there are going to be times in our life when we're going to want to keep our good deeds a secret. Don't don't let other people see. Don't let other people know. But there will be times when it's impossible to do that. Jesus is saying, even when it's impossible uh, to keep your good deeds a secret from others, that, that in Christ, he means that your heart is a portable sanctuary. That we move through life um, in, in secret in our heart, that even when we're doing things and it's impossible to keep others from seeing uh, our good deeds, that, that God's eyes are the only eyes that matter and the only eyes that we're living for. So as we're going through our life and we're doing things, it means walking with God in the secrecy of our heart, talking with God 
in the secrecy of our heart. Enjoying the portable sanctuary, the silent communion with God in the secrecy of our hearts so that we're living for the glory of God and not for the glory of others. We're doing it silently. We're doing it secretly. We're doing it because we have a portable sanctuary in our heart where we are secretly, silently communing with God. Friends, the only way that we can do any of that and all of that is because Jesus has already made a way for us into the sanctuary of God's heart. You know, Jesus Christ is the only person who ever lived who always perfectly and totally practiced righteousness. He's the only one who ever perfectly lived for the glory of God, who perfectly served God and served others. And Jesus is also the only one who always had the love of the Father filling his heart, always had the smile of the Father shining on him, always had the delight of the Father enfolding him and and embracing him, because Jesus is the true one and only Son of God. He always experienced the love of the Father in his life, except for when he was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross... Jesus experienced the justice that we deserve for all of the ways that we use God and use others so that we could receive the the love and the delight that only Jesus deserves. Because on the cross, Jesus lost the Father's love. He lost the Father's smile. He lost the Father's delight so that we could experience it forever. Friends, the more you experience Jesus doing that for you, the more you experience like a little child the love of God being poured out on you like that. The more that happens, the more it lifts you up out of yourself so that you are able to reimagine righteousness, not as hypocritical, legalistic tradition and religion, but as a love affair with the Father who created you and is now empowering and enabling you to live out that love relationship and all of the other relationships of your life and in every area of your life. Have you experienced that? Do you want to experience that? It's available for you in Jesus. Receive it in him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your love this morning, Father. You are such a good Father. You are such a merciful Father. You are such a kind, gracious Father. And your desire always is to pour out your love, your smile, and your delight on us, your children. So Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us to, um, to see Jesus uh, losing your love on the cross so that we could receive your love forever, so that we could, like little children, bask in your love, so that we could be lifted up out of ourselves, forgetting ourselves, um, forgetting our self-centeredness and our self-absorption for just a moment and enjoying your love. Father, I pray that the more we experience your love like that, the more we would be able to serve you and love you and to serve others and to love others uh, and to practice true righteousness, true spirituality in our lives every day. Father, for we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.